Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss In the Land of Saints and Sinners. Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors. In the Land of Saints and Sinners, from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. Watch it now on digital. Rated R. King of sports books comes the king of sports podcasts. Unleashed, presented by BetMGM. Here's your host, Olivia Harlan Decker. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Unleashed. So glad to have you with us. I'm excited to run down everything happening in sports this week. You know, I really love this time of year because you're not so ingrained in regular season hoopla where it's just week after week after week and so much news. So you end up watching things like the European Championship and soccer or Wimbledon. I love watching Wimbledon. It's kind of a change of pace for us regular sports fans, at least in the U.S. I know we have a lot of international listeners, too. So let's recap what's been going on. It was a busy week. Euro 2020 final in soccer wrapped up on Sunday. Italy versus England. England was favored. England was home. Italy wins in a penalty shootout. It was so exciting. They won the shootout three to two at Wembley, their first European championship since 1968. I know our resident gambling expert and resident Italian, Peter Andrew, will be excited to talk about that one later in the show. You know, he really called it last week, too. So I hope y'all listened. He tried to make you some money. You got to listen to him. It's always at the end of the show. Also in UFC fighting, Dustin Poirier beats Conor McGregor. Conor suffered a gruesome leg injury, underwent successful leg surgery this week. But there's controversy about how the match ended. We'll talk more with Peter Andrew about that, too. In tennis, Novak Djokovic wins his third consecutive Wimbledon championship, the 20th Grand Slam title, and a comeback victory over Italian Matteo Berrettini. He is now tied with Nadal and Federer for most Grand Slam titles. That is incredible. They both tweeted out their support. It was really awesome. You know, there's still the U.S. Open in New York. That's end of August. Should he win that, he would have the calendar year Grand Slam. That hasn't been done in over 50 years. You got to be cheering on the Joker for this one. And then golf, the Open. It's the oldest major. This is the 149th. It would have been the 150th, but it was canceled due to COVID. The first year the Open wasn't played since World War II, and that was the only major canceled last year. It was supposed to be the 150th year. It was going to be played at the Mecca of golf, St. Andrews. But no, that will be next year. 
This year, it's in Sandwich, England. Yum. Sandwich, also a word I always misspell. I'm looking at it right now. Sandwich, no extra H. Bubba Watson had to withdraw after being in contact with someone who tested positive for COVID-19. You know, the UK, they're being really strict. That's why this seems kind of odd to Americans. In the US, when an athlete is in close contact with someone who tested positive, they undergo daily testing. We've seen this happening in football and baseball and basketball all year long. But Bubba is vaccinated. That does not matter to this committee. He's replaced by Brendan Steele. Also, Masters champ Hideki Matsuyama withdrew after testing positive a couple weeks ago, July 2nd, because he would have continued to test positive and then have to quarantine in England, which could affect his Olympics participation. And then 2015 champion Zach Johnson, he tested positive. And then 2015 champion Zach Johnson tested positive. So he's also out. There are a lot of rules for golfers and caddies and their families. They can't go out to eat anywhere. They can't go to the store. They can't even walk to the course. If they want to stay at a hotel, it must be approved by the committee. They can't even see other players, really. And they don't care who is vaccinated and who's not. Golfers have to remain in incredibly tight bubbles because they can't risk someone in their party testing positive. The interesting thing is they are allowing 32,000 spectators a day. Now that's down from their 40,000 capacity, but get this, their vaccine card allows the spectators to bypass the COVID test, but the same standard is not upheld for the golf pros. So as you can imagine, there's a lot of frustration from the pros. John Rahm says it's too much. Ricky Fowler has voiced his frustration. It's kind of been a mess. But we're still excited. That starts July 15th. And Peter Andrew at the end of the show will run down his favorites. Over to the NBA. Finals are hot. They are in Milwaukee. Game four Wednesday night in Milwaukee. After the Bucks dropped the first two games on the road in Phoenix. They also dropped the first two games in the series with the Nets in the semifinals. So that did not scare them. They've been calm. They've been cool in all of the media appearances, all the interviews. They win game three in Milwaukee. Let's kind of break this down a little bit. So Phoenix, they showed off game two in Phoenix. Great three-point shooting, 20 for 40. But now we kind of see depth being an issue for them. They had lost Dario Saric in the playoffs with the torn ACL. Torrey Craig was out for a bit game two. He comes back in game three. But then DeAndre Ayton in foul trouble Sunday night in Milwaukee. That's when they really exposed themselves. They shifted him off Giannis before that anyways. And Bridges went on him and they couldn't compete. They have no answer. They couldn't counter the punch of Giannis Antetokounmpo. So we're seeing now that they're thin. They have the lack of size to play bully ball with the Bucks. So on a night when the threes aren't falling, we really saw that take effect. Now let's look at the Bucks. Giannis on fire. He's improving every game from a health perspective after hyperextending his knee in the Atlanta series. Game two, he played 40 minutes. He couldn't really seem to move side to side. It was a major concern for Bucks fans. Much better in game three. He finished with 41 points, 13 boards. He was also just more aggressive. He took fewer threes. He attacked the rim. He made his free throws. Thank God. And great defense. He's an incredible two-way player. And he's showcasing right now at the highest level at the perfect time, especially coming off an injury. Are you kidding? It's so impressive. He's also just showing more emotion. We saw in game two, he slammed a chair. He's begging for the ball when too much time has gone by and he hasn't gotten it. That's what everyone's wanted to see from our two-time MVP. They need to see that crazy in his eyes. They need to see that he refuses to lose. Another aspect that went the Bucks' way, 
through Holiday. Where was he in Phoenix? He came alive Sunday night in game three. He hit some of the biggest threes of the game. And Phoenix was just nine of 31 from three. So this was the Bucks for the taking. It led to a 20-point victory. Something that needs to be mentioned here with the Giannis narrative, it's interesting, the schedule of the finals. They hurried the series up to, I think, to keep momentum and interest from a national perspective because not too big markets. You got to keep the storylines going. You got to keep a national audience. So they sped up game one and everything's been going from there. If they had waited a little bit, if they had waited the time they normally do for finals for the following series, that could have given Giannis Antetokounmpo way more time to recover. His ceiling and ability, as we've seen each game progress, could have been there for game one. So at the risk of sounding like a homer, y'all know I'm a Bucks fan. If the scheduling had been what it has in the past, that's uh, a couple extra days for the two-time MVP to recover. And we've seen each day has mattered so much to Giannis in his healing of that knee. So the Bucks won their first finals game in 47 years. Game four, Wednesday in Milwaukee. That is going to be a good one. Now, my husband and I had the pleasure of going to one of the Bucks hawks games, Eastern Conference Finals. That was so much fun. And we were kind of laughing about it on the way of all the games we've gone to as a couple. There really are not many because I usually go to watch his games. So we're not sitting together. We're not driving there together. You get the idea. But we did break down some of the first Packer games we've gone to as a couple. And we kind of came up with a list of rules, right? Like, how do you go to a game with your significant other? Because let me tell you, that can get hairy, people. You've got to have a game plan, especially if you're fans of the same team, right? What do you do if they lose? What do you do if they win? Are you seeing people? Are you not seeing people? When are you eating? All this, you got to think about it. It's coming up next in our couple's guide to watching or going to a sporting event together. You'll love this. So what happens if you and your significant other like different teams or worse? What if one of you loves going to games? The other one doesn't. What if one of you loves watching games all day on a Saturday, Sunday, all year? and the other one doesn't, I mean, you got a problem. So Sam and I are going to help you out and kind of give you a breakdown of how to watch sports together as a couple and even harder, maybe go to games together as a couple. What do you think, hon? Yeah, I just think like with anything, there's there's give and take that has to happen Mm -hmm. with anything in relationship, whether that's favorite restaurants or, you know, (laughs) even even some very serious things like, you know, joining a different church. Wow. Uh, Sports. is kind of a religion for some people. So sports is very, very religious for some people. So sometimes you actually have to convert to your spouses, favorite (laughs) teams, favorite venues, but uh, some other people don't. So I think we've had a pretty good happy medium of our favorite teams and we're kind of in a different, different area with, you know, our jobs, but I think we've rubbed off on each other a little bit. What do you think? Totally. Well, one thing that we have always had in common and that truly I think is kind of how we started dating is we're both huge Packer fans. So we're on the same page there, Mm. but I've got a couple tips and tricks of what to do when you're going to a game together. Number one, I think you have to make sure you're on the same page of when you want to get into the stadium. You know, some people, they don't mind tailgating and missing the first couple innings or in football, the anthem or the first couple drives. Mm. Other people would hate have a ticket to a game and miss kickoff. Yeah. And I think we're both on the same page, but I know we've had this conversation of, okay, Liv, we got to go get in line. Like 
we got 30 minutes till kickoff, you know, and, and other mm-hmm. couples and, and people are like, oh, you know, we have time for another beer. I mean, what do you think about that first? As a rule of thumb, know when you're going yeah. into the stadium. Yeah, I think you have to talk that through because I remember our yeah. first Packers game we went to, we didn't talk that through. And I was like, game's about <laughs> to start. We got to get in line. Game's about to start. Let's go. And you're like, no, we're good. Like, we'll wait till the line is dead. Oh, gosh. But I'm embarrassed. I, I'm an athlete. So I'm on Lombardi time always. Oh. And word of Vince Lombardi. Oh, His are. thing was, if you're 15 minutes early, you're late. Mm-hmm. So for me, as an athlete, you know, I hate not being on time for things. Yes. So it even is for being in my seat for the game. You need to talk that through with the girl or guy that you're going to the game with, yes. because if you're on different wavelengths, it's going to start the game off poorly. So now we're on the same page. Mm-hmm. I concede that I don't need to see kickoff, but then we get in there right away and we watch the rest of the game. You kind of have to draft a game plan before you go, especially like you said, if it's your first game together. So know mm-hmm. when you want to be in your seats. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Two, know when you're going to eat. Like, are you eating in the parking lot? Are you getting a Dodger dog at the game? When are you eating? Mm-hmm. And make sure it's at the same time. And then three, I would say know your game plan, win or loss. So if you lose, you know, one of you may want to go home and brood. Mm-hmm. The other one may be like, oh man, tough loss, but like want to go meet up with our friends at blah, blah, blah. So I think mm-hmm. have a game plan, win or lose so that you know what to expect from the other. I think those are three good rules to follow. I agree. But I think you also need to know what kind of fan is your significant other? Mm-hmm. Is it a diehard? Mm-hmm. Is it a, are we leaving early if we're losing? Yeah. Guy, if it's seventh inning, you're down, are you leaving? Or 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter, you're down three touchdowns, are we leaving? Or is your significant other the one that's no we stick it out we ride or die for our team and (laughs) i know which one you are (laughs) it may be hard depending depending who you are yeah i don't love leaving early no hey i'm sticking it through with this team you never know what kind of comeback you may be able to see for example super bowl yes do you remember we said (laughs) we literally said it was end of the third we said if it gets to 35 to three this is patriots falcons yes yes 2017 20 February 2016, 2016, 17. Yeah. Yes. And I remember <laughs> we looked at each other. He said, if it gets to 35 to three, do we have the discussion about beating the crowd? Yeah. There's going to be a hundred thousand people outside. You know, this is a, a blowout. And we looked at each other. We said, we said, after this drive, we'll see. And that's when Patriots, Patriots forced a turnover, came back and scored. And we said, okay, we're in it for the long run. But Ooh. the fact that we even thought about it is humiliating. To this day bothers me. Me too. I have to admit it. But we did think about it because 35-3 was a lot different than 28-3. So I'm glad that you and I both said we should stick it out. Yeah, that is a memory we will not forget. But there is one thing we're not always on the same page on. And I actually brought it up on our MLB show. I love going to an MLB game, right? Mm-hmm. Like sitting in the sun, having a hot dog. It's a great way to spend an afternoon. You don't miss a Brewers game. Like we'll be watching a movie. We've been out to dinner. And I think I've seen your phone like under the table watching a Brewers game. You don't miss a single game. And that bothers me. Like I'm a sports girl and I just don't think you need to catch every Brewers game. Yeah. Agree to disagree. And I think that's where we're at in that part of our relationship. (laughs) But you you've been better about just being like, yeah, this Sam, this is the team Sam loves and he, he can watch. But, you know, I think. You're fully on board with baseball. Oh, you're I mean, obsessed. one of our fondest memories was going to a World Series game, Astros Dodgers on Halloween night in, in LA. That was one of the coolest dates we've ever had. Mm-hmm. But Very cool. it's one of those things when it's not your team during the regular season. I understand that 
it sounds weird because I would never watch a Reds game or I would never watch a Tigers game randomly, but it's my team. I'm going to watch them. I want to support them. So that's how I am. I try to keep the volume on low. I just have it on the background. It's easy to walk in and out when my favorite guys are hitting and whatnot. So I appreciate you just humoring me. Let me get through it and get it out of my system for the day. Uh, But I love supporting my brewers. I always will. And um, I appreciate that you've kind of slowly came on that journey with me. Yeah. Well, it's like background noise at this point. And my sister is married to a huge baseball fan. So we both Mm -hmm. have this same hardship that we're just like, oh, I hate baseball season. You just you just feel like you're competing with the MLB (laughs) for your attention. Well, hey, you always got my attention first and foremost. Remember that. No. Well, let's not be too cheesy so people don't switch off right away. (laughs) But that is our couple's guide to watching sports together. Lock, our final segment and the segment you might want to pay the closest attention to because it'll affect your wallet this weekend. We bring in our betting expert, Peter Andrew, who's also kind of our resident Italian fan. So a very happy Peter Andrew. Peter, welcome back. Thanks. Yeah, big, uh, big for me. I think I just stopped celebrating about three hours ago. So it's been a fun 24 hours. Ooh, ouch. <laughs> you just need to hydrate, my friend. Just hydrate. That's it. I woke up this morning a little foggy, but it's been all good. I love it. So just walk us through because it happened in such exciting fashion. I talked in the first segment about the penalty kicks and whatnot, but I felt like for the first time in a long time, Americans really cared about this match. It was so good. Yeah. So first time, long time. I mean, really, really exciting game. Americans here have a lot of bias towards both England and the Italian team. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of Italians live here. My hometown is an example completely shut down. I think everybody was in the middle of the street. So it was crazy. Wow. And you have a lot of English fans here for obvious reasons too. I mean, it's only a couple hours away from, from the East coast here. A lot of fans support them. A lot of people love premier league. So you, overall, you just have a lot of excitement towards the game, which was great. And, and we really need it, you know, here in the U S for soccer. So England scored early and then went into defensive mode. And that's where the wheels kind of fell off, but you know, that's a great thing about soccer. And it's so easy to be a fan of a lot of kids grow up playing soccer and it's a pretty easy sport. I know there are some, you know, there's minutia in the rules, but it's a pretty easy sport to watch and follow. Walk us through after England scores that first goal, what happened? Yeah. So you, you kind of said it there, let the foot off the gas. I think they had all the pressure in the world and against an Italian team that is so tactical Every player knows exactly where they need to be. Mm-hmm. If you don't keep the pressure on them, it's a matter of time before they start exploiting you and taking over possession, which is what happened. I think by the 70th minute, it was 65-35 or 70-30 in terms of possession for the Italians. And every time you look, they didn't have a lot of presence in the box, but, but they were just controlling the entire game. So when England kind of lost that momentum after the first five to seven minutes, it was a matter of time before Benucci would you know, eventually score that goal before they put a ton of pressure on. And that's ultimately, I think, if you talk to English fans, that's ultimately what led to their defeat. How long was the game in total? Do you know? In terms of running time? Mm-hmm. So it was 120 minutes. It probably was like two and a half, three hours, I guess, with all the stoppages and stuff like that. Oh, okay. It seems long just because it's there's so much going on, but that's nothing 
more than a, you know, American college football game or something. I've had yeah. four plus hour football games. It's something to do with the running clock where every yeah. time you look and it's just like, oh my God, it's only the 23rd minute, <laughs> only the 31st minute, only the 45th minute. Yeah. But I felt the same way. It really felt like it was super slow, but there was pockets of excitement. And then certainly as it got towards the kicks, it got really exciting. Oh my gosh. So exciting. You can't ask for anything better in sports than when it all comes down to the final. Absolutely. Let's talk about UFC. You said that that would be a quick fight. Conor McGregor and Poirier. You said McGregor had it. He had extra time to train, but of course he got hurt. Walk us through though, because it ended kind of controversially. The crowd was booing, let's say on the way out, fill in the gaps there. Yeah. So first off, it was a good result for the sports books. Yeah. So even though McGregor was the underdog, he was the favorite in a lot of normal folks' eyes. Mm-hmm. So everybody obviously has that affinity towards McGregor, his style, his cockiness, everything. Yeah. So it was a good result for us. But obviously, as people who listened last week know, I, I was on McGregor in first round. It's really difficult. You heard him screaming, Dr. Stoppage, Dr. Stoppage. Yeah. He wanted it to be clear that he didn't lose the fight, that they called it on account of his injury, which was terrible, by the way. Yeah. I think there's going to be... I mean, it's going to be a while because he either broke his fibula or his ankle. It's probably going to be over a year from now, but I find no reason why they wouldn't have a fourth fight. That is not what he tweeted. He said six weeks on crutches and he's back. <laughs> yeah. As we know, as we know, McGregor always tells the truth. So, yeah. But the way those guys were talking, I mean, he made a comment about Poirier's wife being in his DMs. Crazy. They were calling each other names. They're completely out of control. I can't imagine they don't fight again. But it was a quick fight. It was a quick fight for the, uh, for the wrong reason. Yeah. There was a point that Poirier looked like he was going to end it. I think he threw a couple of those hammer fists while he had McGregor in the corner. Mm-hmm. But overall, I thought the card was great. I mean, a ton of the fights ended in knockouts. You had a little bit too much blood at times. But overall, I think it was a really good day. There's a lot of theater in fighting in general. I think UFC, people like to think, is the most legitimate of them all. But with the theater, with the McGregor, like things he was saying, what's your take on how that adds to the storyline? Yeah, it's I like it to an extent. I think yeah. there's a line that he certainly crossed, which is yeah. and Poirier kind of said it. It's like, talk crap to me all you want. The minute you talk to my wife. No families. Yeah, exactly. No families. Don't don't say anything about. And, and before the fight, apparently he was saying that uh, he's going to end in a casket Poirier and you don't need to take it that far. No, <laughs> you, you don't need to wish death upon people. You can just kick their ass. I also hate to laugh at that, but it's like you don't take it seriously. But oh, you're course. so excited to watch him fight the next time. Right. Yeah, it, it really. <laughs> I mean, to that point, it really does help because you just can't yep. turn away from your TV. But then when you look at it back and you kind of reflect on it, you're like, man, that was a ridiculous thing to say. Let's talk about golf. The Open Championship begins July 15th. Shane Lowry is the defending champ. It's at Royal St. George's in Sandwich, England, which I've got to ask you, uh, what's your favorite sandwich? Uh, My favorite sandwich probably be turkey BLT, I think. Oh, that's pretty simple. Not Italian meatball? If we start throwing (laughs) meatballs and chicken pellets in there, I might have to be persuaded then. I love it. Simple, I usually like, but... I'm an Italian, so anything with bread works for me. (laughs) Well, St. George's has a reputation for being so tough. It's kind of a quirky course. The weather can be up in the air sometimes in England. Overall, what is your take on the field and and the course in general? Anything you know about it? Yeah, so Linksy style course, obviously. That's what it always is for the Open Championship. I think these guys, you know, this week are going to have to be really, really accurate off the tee which is why I look at a guy like Bryson DeChambeau, who can be a little bit sloppy mm-hmm. off the tee. He may hit it a million miles, but 
a lot of times he's going left and right with it. I don't think a, a player like him has a shot. I think it has to be someone who's really, really consistent, hit long iron shots, hit good, you know, woods, whether it be three wood or the driver. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Rahm is the first one. He's plus 750 comes to mind for me. Mm-hmm. He played unbelievable in the Scottish Open last week. I think he had a his first major title. Yeah. First major title. I think he's going to be right there. He's actually the favorite. Mm-hmm. He shot a front 929 last week at the Scottish Open, which was crazy. He had six, seven birdies or something like that. He's a guy who's just playing really well right now, you know, and he took those two weeks to come to UK, play the Scottish Open, get familiar again with link style courses, practice a bit more. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to have a strong week. I also like Victor Hovland plus 2,800. Shane Lowry, as you mentioned, defending champion at plus 4,000. And an interesting one is Mark Leishman plus 6,600. He's finished sixth or better in his last six open starts. So he's been right there. And I know the course changes every year, but he's been right there. He knows how to play this style of golf. I think he'll be really interesting. And then two others, Lowry as the top Irishman, plus 175. So I don't think Rory has a particularly great tournament this week. Mm-hmm. And then Tyrell Hatton as the top Englishman, plus 500. That's kind of where my head has been at. It's interesting with Rory too. He missed the cut last time. Of course, that was two years ago as last year was skipped with COVID. But do you wonder if that plays in your head at all? Because it was on his home turf two years ago. Yeah, I think for that exact reason, it does. It's the place he wants to really show up and perform. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be in his head a little bit. He has played a bit better this year. Obviously, last year with COVID, like you said, he has played a bit better. But I do think he kind of finds his way down the list a little bit. Same with Bryson DeChambeau. He has not done well in this Open historically. He missed cuts in 2017 and 19. He tied for 51st in 2018. I didn't realize that. I had to go back and look at that. And he's breaking in a new caddy. How much does that play a factor? Yeah, it certainly makes a difference. Playing on a different style course, like a Lynx course, what happened two weeks ago was crazy, but it is going to make a considerable difference. There's a lot of different clubs that these guys are going to be picking from for certain shots, where it may be that nine iron that you'd always hit on a regular course here in the US. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to think differently with the conditions, the greens, the fairways. Everything is just a bit different. It's a totally different style of golf. So it really is going to matter. And if you have a guy that that's just not really familiar with Bryson and how he plays, and maybe going in between clubs, it's going to matter. So Peter, next year, it's the 150th anniversary of the Open, and it's at St. Andrews. How much begging do you think we can do to our bosses at BetMGM to have like live, unleashed coverage there? I think it's going to be easy. I think me and you have a conversation (laughs) with them this week anyway. So I think we just start putting in the request now. Okay. A good year out. Yeah. Well, I'll be in the (laughs) pro-am. You'll be doing all the live coverage as people are coming through the tee boxes. It'll be perfect combo. I love that. Okay, back to NBA. You know, we are recording this before game four in Milwaukee, but Giannis has made it clear that he is not hampered. Game three, my gosh, he what he was unleashed. And now it puts in the MVP conversation. We go back and forth on this all the time. You said it's so binary. It's now it's pretty much either Chris Paul or Giannis. What what other names are coming up now that we are seeing uh, like Drew Holiday getting back to shape in game three? Yeah, it's... um. I think the only other person you can really consider in the conversation is Devin Booker yeah, because of his game too. I think the pressure really is on the Suns now. It's kind of crazy to think after a pretty commanding 2-0 lead that the pressure is off them. But, you know, going into game four on Wednesday, they're obviously in Milwaukee again. A lot of pressure to just try to to move that series to 3-1. If it goes to 2-2, it really becomes any one series again. So I expect Booker and, and CP3 to have a really, really pivotal role, obviously, but uh, an extra pivotal role for game four and beyond. 
Well, the best part for our part as spectators and as commentators is we know it's not going to be over Wednesday night now. We know they're going back to Phoenix. So what other bets this weekend should NBA fans be looking at? Yeah, so I started building a little one game parlay. So for anybody that's not familiar, you can place all different types of prop bets on BetMGM all into one bet. So a little one that I was looking at, again, odds are going to change a little bit based off what happens. But handicapping the Suns at home to right around a pick them. Chris Paul, 25 points. Devin Booker, 30 points. And the over over 220. I think some of those games back in Phoenix will be high scoring. Plus 900. So you bet $10, you win 90 bucks right there, which is mm-hmm. a, a nice little chunk of change. And all four of those things that I mentioned are pretty easily feasible. I mean, Chris Paul can easily have a 25-point game. We know Devin Booker mm-hmm. can get hot. He can score way over 30, as we've seen. Oh, yeah. And if you take the Suns at like a pick that's pretty fair. And then the over. So mm-hmm. you get really decent odds there. Plus 900. I, I think that's a good bet. You know, it's a little bit risky, but you got to do that, especially coming down the stretch here for the NBA Finals. All right, Peter, Andrew, thank you so much. Go back and have a meatball sub and a glass of red wine or whatever you Italians do when you celebrate something good. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks, Olivia. I was going to do the podcast in Italian, but I figured we might lose some viewership. So maybe we'll save that for next year, too. Oh, are you fluent? Uh, not fluent, but enough to get okay. by. <laughs> enough to say the bad words. So, OK, that's all that really matters. <laughs> Peter, Andrew, arrivederci. Ciao. Grazie. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Make sure to check out all the action from BetMGM. Follow them everywhere at BetMGM. And please leave a review of the show on Apple Podcasts and follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. Bye, guys. Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss In the Land of Saints and Sinners. Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors. In the Land of Saints and Sinners, from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. Watch it now on digital. Rated R. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.